This morning we're going into part three of the work we're doing on habits in our life and the fact that they are essential, they're an essential part of our success and our failure. Uh, we, we went over kind of a brief definition and the bottom line is uh, they, are, they are behavior patterns. They are ways of doing things, frequent re- repetitions and reactions. And they, they become, the mind's desires that they become automatic. They become impulse. They become instinct. And, and those are the things, um, they can be good or they can be bad in our life. But for most of us, what we learned in the last few weeks is most of us operate primarily out of habit. We get up, we brush our teeth a certain way, we operate in habit. And, and so I don't care if you're four years old, it means you're set in your ways. Now me, a lot of people might look at me as not having habits. I don't go to bed at the same time every night. I don't get up at the same time every day. I don't eat at the same times. I don't do anything in a routine. So I could look at you and go, well, I'm, I'm not a very habitual person. I am habitually a habitual. All right? For me to eat every day at the same time is just not in my DNA. It's not in my habit frame. Okay? So we are all conditioned with habits. And then we looked at this idea of what was called in a, in a book called The Habit, The Habit Loop. And it breaks the habits that we have into three pieces. One is the cue. And the cue is where something happens, something is said. We feel a certain way. We're tired. We're overwhelmed. We're lonely. We're angry. We're hungry. It's 10 p.m. Whatever it might be, that's the cue, and the habit comes in. Then there's that routine, whatever it is. Whatever it is that takes place in that moment. And then finally, it's called the reward, and that's the completion of the loop. And habits, in essence, they're about changing things to where they should be. If I'm hungry, I go get something to eat. That takes me to a non-hunger place. If I'm angry, I might rant. And that takes me to a place of feeling satisfied that I yelled and screamed. If I'm lonely, I might call someone, why? Because I want to get out of lonely, or at least distracted. And so out of all this, habits are designed to take us from one place to another. They're designed, normally, they address a need or an opportunity. And they step into play, and they make their move. They protect, they take care of, they do all these things. That's what habits are capable of. The problem with habits is that they are taken over by our needs. Let's look at some typical rewards. I want to feel normal. Uh, I want to get rid of the depression, the relative anxiety, relieve the anxiety, distraction. Uh, I want to treat myself. Uh, I want satisfaction for injustice. I want relief from loneliness, from pain, whatever it might be. You know, I used to work, I was a flight instructor, 
And I, I worked uh, with about 15 other flight instructors. And uh, we, had a, uh, we had a rule. We were a professional place. There was no cussing. No cussing. That was the rule. No cussing. And then we had a World Bank. And if you cussed, you had to put a quarter in there. The rule. What was it? And if you do cuss, you have to pay the price. Okay? So here's the way it would work at the airport. You get mad about something. You go in and drop a couple of quarters in. You let a couple of words rip. I see guys walk in, put a $10 bill in there, and just go crazy. You couldn't even count all the words. You see? What are they doing? My habit needs to be met. I'm willing to pay for it. Now, a flight instructor, to some of you, might sound a little, sound a little bit glamorous. There is nobody that makes less money on the planet than a flight instructor. Uh, or uh, pastors and flight instructors. You can see I'm great at career choices. Thank you. I feel better about myself already. <clears throat> I think I need to go medicate myself somehow. Maybe I need to drop some quarters. So, so the reality is, you see, to meet that need, it wasn't about changing the habit. It was about we left room for the habit. You see, Jesus is not in the business of making room for bad habits. That's not what he's after. He's, he's really not after, I'm going to hold my breath and count to a thousand, and then I'll be able to stand it. I mean, it's a great place. If it's either that or, you know, break somebody's window, it's great to count. But that is not the change of a habit, is it? That's just the arresting of the habit. That's that holding that habit in tension. And we all know, how well do we hold habits in tension? One day two days, three days a week. Some of us are really proud. We go a whole month before we break something. And some of you, you're good for minutes. You know, you're not very good at it at all. And you're proud. I went 18 minutes before I let it all loose. You see, Scripture calls that type of reward, that reward that we're looking for, uh, desire. And most of the time when you read about desire in the Scripture, it's, it's in a bad context. It's talked about in a bad way. And you think, God, why are desires bad? Why are all my desires bad? Well, here's the reason why. And let's go ahead and look at this verse. We'll begin to see it come out. Ephesians 2, 3, and this is the first part of, of verse 3. Uh, and this is the New American, no, this is the NIV. Uh, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. You see, we gratify our cravings. We gratify ourselves. And, and that idea of desires and rewards being the same, Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, to put off the old system of rewards, which is being corrupted by what? By deceitful desires. So what it's saying is these rewards are deceitful, all right? These rewards that we are commonly know about, they are deceptive. 
They're deceptive. How are they deceptive? Well, if I'm hungry and, and eating something right now is the ultimate goal, if I've had my feelings hurt and making that right is the ultimate goal, is there something you would not do for a meal? Is there something you would not do for a meal? Is there something you would not do to make something right? You see, when you start thinking about, is there something in your world that you must address? You see, that's where habits work. Why? Because habits are working to become involuntary. Habits are working to become instinct and impulse. And so you see, they kick in automatically. What it's taking away is the habit is about not making a decision. Do you see that? The habit is about not making the decision. What we do when we're overriding a decision, you're overriding your own system. Now, if you have to do that 20 times a day, what does that say about your system? Galatians 5, 17, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. So you see, it's not just desires, but the spirit is wanting something different also. The spirit wants something different in you and I. But the flesh wants something different. They are in conflict with each other. I like the way the scripture says it. So you are not to do whatever you want. Wow, that's a bummer, isn't it? So basically, you can't do what you want to do. The Spirit says you can't do what you want to do. It's like, well, yeah, but that means I never do what I want to do? I can't ever do what I want to do? It's really not the right question. Let's see why the Scripture says this. You see, Jesus is out to redeem our system of reward, how something is completed. You see, our habit system is our brain. It's, it's there in the heart. It's there in the brain. And here's what, it, here's what the mind is working on. Get desires now. Fix it now. You know, a habit never says, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you invest that money in your child's uh, future? Most of the time, we have to really change things to build a habit for someone else. You see, habits are about fixing something now. Jesus is offering us and calling us to a new reward system. You can't fix habits without fixing this. We just override them. I know people who were clean from drugs for 15 years. Worked, worked as a counselor in drug rehab. And after 15 years, they go back. Full, full press. Like they never moved away from it. Something happened. Something happened. And they could not override it one more time. Jesus wants to give us a lasting and eternal reward system, one that is not controlled in the moment. A lasting reward system that is not controlled in the moment. 
When you are controlled in the moment, you are controlled by the flesh. When you are controlled in the moment, you're really under the control of, of this world. When the world decides now is more important than anything else, then that is the price that you will pay. You will pay everything for now. We looked at this idea of cues. I want to move through this very quickly. But that's the moment or the event that the brain engages and goes in a certain direction. It goes to get that beer. It goes to get that whatever it is, whatever it is you're reaching for. Uh, it goes to that pornography. It goes wherever you need it to go. And the routine is that process that it's going to fulfill. And in Colossians 3, 8 through 10, it says... It looks at these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. All of that are practices that are about getting something met right now. All of those are about instant gratification. And the scripture says, that's the old self. Those are the old routines. That's what this scripture talks about. Those are the old routines. You don't use slander anymore. You don't talk smack about somebody who's talking smack about you. You don't go after somebody who's going after you. That is not the way you get it fixed anymore. Because habits reinforce themselves. And I can go put money in the jar and let it rip. And then I can put money in the jar the next day and let it rip. Money in the jar the next day and let it rip. And by next week, you know what I'll be doing? Before I go to work, I'll be checking my wallet, make sure I got money for the jar. You see what's happened? Let's see, I'm going to need some money today. Especially I got those two students that want to fly upside down. I, I, I need some extra money. You see, our habits represent our own developed instinct or impulses in circumstances. Here's what I'm saying. Your habits are yours. They belong to you. My habits belong to me. If I, had a bad, if I have a bad habit, I made it. And I'm going to tell you and show you why that is so detrimental. Habits are the result of our desires, our character, our needs, and our values. Now, the two pieces I want you to really look at there is our character and our values. Your habits say who and what you are. Your habits say everything about who you are. The psalmist says in Psalm 34, verse 4, he will give you the desires of your heart. That's because we need that redeemed by God. And last week I gave you five things on redeeming habits, and I'm going to take off from these, so I'm just going to give them to you very quickly. One is recognize the role of your habits are playing in your life, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. 
The fact that you're not, your behavior is not bad, but your mind is bad, it counts. This is why Jesus says, if you've thought it, you've done it. People have struggled with that scripture, but here's what it's saying. If you think, or you, if you're thinking it, you're engaging it, and it is something you have to override, but you won't always. And so the same effect, it's having the same effect on you. You think you can hate and get away with it? You can lust and get away with it? You can envy and, or have greed and get away with it? We don't get away with anything. Because we, as we allow our hearts and minds to go there, it becomes a part of our habits. It becomes a part of our character, who we are. So, recognize the role that habits are playing. You have to look closely. Number two, become a steward. Become someone who takes care of your habits. Take ownership of them. Recognize what they look like. Are you judgmental of people? Are you arrogant? Are you full of pride? Number three, consider the rewards you're seeking. What itch is being scratched? What itch is being scratched? What place is being touched by doing that thing? Because see, you're going to have to fix that. That's going to have to be redeemed. Become aware of your cues and how they initiate. And in five, <clears throat> very important, consider the scripture in all your routines. <clears throat> you see, if lashing out at someone, if putting something really damning on Facebook towards someone because of what they did or what they said or maybe what they didn't do, <clears throat> is that something the scripture would say, this is what I want you to do? This is how I want you to address this issue. But if the scripture says something totally different, are you willing to believe that God is after changing your routine in that very moment? Changing the way you operate. Changing the way we think. So what's the value of all this hard work to change the way you think? The, the next bullet should say, our habits are everything. Jesus is zeroed in on what they say. Our habits are everything. Here's why. Because your habits are operating out of instinct and you create instincts and when you look at somebody's habits, you can see what's down inside. Jesus wants your habits to point to him. He wants your instinct to reveal his glory. He wants your instinct to show his victory in your life. <clears throat> you see why he must have the habit? He must have your habits because when he has your habits, he has you. And if he doesn't have your habits then you're just overriding things to try to look better. What our habits say about us, our habits, our impulse, our instincts, they say a great deal about who we are. 
I want you to think about it this way. These are responses that we have approved to serve in certain situations. We have approved them. It's like that statement on those political campaigns. My name is Bill Laswell, and I approve this announcement. All right? On my reaction, my instinct, my habit, I'm saying, my name is Bill Laswell, and I approve of my behavior here because it came from my instincts. It came from my gut. That's why they're so valuable to Satan. That's why they're so valuable to Jesus. It means that they have become an active and an integral part of our character. In a sermon I did four weeks ago on finishing well, I mentioned three things that have to be working with God. One is our character, one is our connection with Jesus, and one is our God vision. It's how we live with others. All of these are completely influenced by habit. How we live our lives. How we connect with Jesus. How we connect with the vision of God for other people. I want to invite Mark up. Uh, he shared with me a couple of weeks ago. Um, how old are you? You're 17. you're 17. This will be your mic, and you can adjust it. Um, we were, I was asking him how he was doing. What's going on? How's your heart? What's going on in your life? He had a pretty positive report. Um, and he was talking about when he had problems, or even when good things happened. He was talking about what he was doing. Go ahead and kind of share your story a little bit. Uh, pretty much whenever stuff happens, I've been trying to think of the effect that God can have on it or pretty much any situation. So, like, say I see something on the news, a poor guy got rich all of a sudden. I try to think, hey, what did God do? Maybe that poor guy prayed once, twice, and something could have happened, or maybe somebody prayed for him or something. And biggest effect really my mom hadn't been going to church and I kind of started praying for her because I wanted her to have more faith in God well this lady actually contacted her last week and asked her if she wanted to start going to her bible study and stuff so I started thinking of how God had an effect on her and now she's going to church and stuff that's cool thank you man Do you know how different it is when there's a reversal in your life and you say, what's God doing? Or when there's a victory, what's God doing? Do you know how that different that is for believers to be looking to the Father for what is he doing? And, it, and it's not like, oh man, what is God thinking? What's wrong with him? It's not like that. It's to know that God is in play always, all the time. And that he is active and at work in the life of every human being on the planet. And his activity is for good. I want you to know that. 
I want you to hear that. Across the globe, billions of people, his heart and mind towards every human being is for good. He does not have a hit list. He's got a save list. And even the greatest enemies of humanity are on that list. See, Mark is developing a habit. That's not what he used to do. But it's what he has started doing. And now he begins to see the finger of God at work. He sees something new, and he sees the hand of God at work, or the place where the hand of God is working in a disaster, or where it's brought fruit, like in his mother's life. This is kind of a long passage. Um, hang with me on this, because I, this piece begins to show you how Jesus is out to redeem our reward system. That instant gratification is not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to hit the mark ever. And Jesus takes it away time after time. Matthew 9, 33 through 35. Uh, this is um, Jesus and his disciples. They came to Capernaum. And when he was at the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which one of them was the greatest. That's just like us, isn't it? We won't even just talk about why they felt like they needed to figure that out. Sitting down, he called the twelve and he said to them, Jesus takes this as a teaching moment. People are wanting to be seen as the best. People are wanting to be seen as at least as the second best. And the least of all, you do not want to be the last on the list. You're the loser apostle, you know. But you would love to be seen as the one at the top of the list. So it's this teaching moment. And Jesus shows the reward system very differently. If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Wow, that's a nice reward, don't you think? Oh, do you want to be first? Do you want to be the most powerful, the most important? Good. Then you need to move to the back. You need to serve everybody else all your life. You see how he's turned that instant gratification upside down? That's what Jesus is here to do with you and I. As long as we are ruled in the moment, then the moment rules us. And every two or three weeks, every two or three months, for some of you, every two or three minutes, you're going to put money in the jar and you're going to do something that's rooted in the depths of your character that Jesus is changing. This is the long passage here. Luke 6, verse 27 through 36. But I say to you, and, and you're going to be familiar with this passage, um, and, and, and we're going to work through, what he's going to do is just give all these examples, but then he's going to come into the punchline. But I say to you, who hears, um, you who hear, love your enemies. Do go, good to those who hate you. 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on one cheek, offer them the other one. Whoever takes your coat, give them. Um, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat one another the same way you would want them to treat you. He's really pulled out all the stops here. What is he going for? What is his conclusion here? What is he trying to explain with these examples? He's given these examples that just seem over the top. What is his point? His point is this. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Let me put that in different language. If you love those who love you, what reward is that to you? There's the word. You see it? If you love those who love you, what reward is that to you? There's no, there's no reward there. Why not? It's because God has decided the reward system. And to love someone who loves you in return, what it says is that love is the reward. But when you're talking about reward in your character and reward in the kingdom and building this surplus in your character, let me put it a different way. For me to love my wife, Melinda, is easy. It's really, really easy. I think she told a friend of ours this week, um, we have an easy marriage. We have an easy marriage. Now, that's a wonderful thing. I don't want to change that at all. All right? But what it also says is, it doesn't test me. It doesn't, it doesn't test me. Now, I have other relationships they're harder. They're not easy. Now, I'm not married to them, but they are hard relationships. They're difficult. Most of us have those. You see, in that, I use a different set of habits than I do with my wife. Uh, we've kind of gotten into a habit. I mean, it'll, I don't know, probably 50 times a day, you know, something like, Hi, honey. And there's a reciprocation, and it feels good every time. And it's, it's really a, truly an intense habit now. Uh, and, and that reciprocation is amazing and wonderful. But that is the reward in itself, you see? And I'm not knocking the power of that. I'm saying that it doesn't test my habit metal. But when people are difficult, that tests my habit metal. That's a totally different go-to. You see that? It's a different set of habits. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you for even sinners love those who love them? If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Are you building? Are you gaining? Because, you see, the world is going to test your habit metal. It's going to be tested. Even sinners do the same. Verse 34, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? 
Even sinners do that. Now here's what this saying when it says even sinners. Here's what it's really saying. Even those who don't have the power of God in their life, even those who don't have the spirit to help them, to heal them, to encourage them, to lead them, to guide them, even the people who don't have anything from God changing the game, that's what they do. That's what this is saying. You see, the expectation of the believer the expectation of the believer is that we have the spirit of Christ in us. We have the spirit of unity in us. We have another person of God within us. And in that, it changes the game in how we respond in the world. It wants to change my instincts. Uh, when I was in high school, I was... Uh, I worked at a drive-in theater, and it was kind of a difficult place. It was in a tough part of town, and, you know, we had police units and riots there. I don't want to say all the time, but, but enough that it was fairly normal fare to have, you know, the paddy wagon and 20 police cars and tear gas, and that was, that was not, if you were to say, hey, this happened last night, they go, okay, again, you know, and it's kind of like that. Um, so, uh, I was running a cash register and you've got the line here and the cash register at the end of the line, but you got part of the lobby that's right behind you. I mean, you're surrounded on three sides by people and you have money, strangers, money, strangers, money, and kind of a rough place. And, um, uh, I had this little jumpy edge to me, you know, and so, if somebody just came up and tapped me on the shoulder, I would often turn around kind of swinging. And it became a habit. And it became kind of a bad habit because uh, you never know who you're hitting, usually someone you care about. My boss walked out, tapped me on the shoulder, was going to ask me if I needed some change or something. I turned around, and I swung around, and I hit him. You have to know my boss. My boss was a tough guy. Um, he was a cop in Chicago in the 20s, south side. Uh, carried a pistol. He was crazy. And uh, I apologized. He said, no problem. He goes back in his office. And he, uh, 10, 15 minutes goes by. And uh, I get this tap on my shoulder. I'm coming around swinging. And he has this board. And he just slams my fist with that board. Ah, oh, it just crushed my hand. And he just smiled. He said, it's okay. And he goes back in his office. <laughs> Waits about an hour. Comes back, taps me on the shoulder. Bam! He hits my fist again. It was killing me. My hand is all dark and, and scratched up. Three times that night. Three times. He walks out and he just taps me and waits with that board. Bam! He hits my fist. And then the fourth time, he comes out, taps me on the shoulder, and I come around. I remember it was like this. I was doing everything to stop, you know, just like, stop, don't go there. And I got it stopped, and he was there with that board. I never swung again. You see, he helped me change a habit. It was a painful experience. <laughs> 
You go home, you're all bloodied, your knuckles. You get in a fight with a board. And I got beat. Board, four. Bill, zero, you know. You see, I had a, I had a habit. And that habit, even we will even do habits when they're detrimental to us. Verse 35. After all these ideas about the unbeliever doesn't have the tooling that you have, and what he's saying is, you have the tooling to change. I have the tooling to change. When I say change, I'm not talking about just put change in the jar. I have the power to change my instincts, my impulse. Jesus' response is, I want you to love your enemies and do good and lend. And I don't want you to expect anything in return. There's that word, and your rewards. There it is. What you seek, what you need, what you want, what you must have to feel normal and okay and alive and just, it'll be great. What I give is great. And you will be sons of the Most High God and daughters of the Most High God. And he himself is kind and to the ungrateful and evil men. What he's saying is, I'm calling you to have my instincts, my impulses. Jesus is aware Between two people deeply in love, the metal isn't tested. It's easy to be Jesus to Jesus. It's easy. And maybe it's easy for Jesus to be Jesus, you know? But I'm not saying I'm on the level she is. But I'm saying you you get the point. I'm saying that our habits in conflict, our habits where we're angry, our habits where we're lonely, our habits where we're lustful, our habits where we're any of those things, Jesus wants to be our instinct there. So I'm going to sum up that whole long passage with this statement. The greatest act of trust... You get that? The greatest act of trust in Jesus is to be willing to adopt rewards that are not immediate. That is the greatest act of trust. If you want to look at do you trust Jesus, then the question becomes, can you live without an immediate reward? Can you believe in him that the reward is going to come and it's going to be worth it? Because that's what it boils down to. Instinct comes out of trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in him, not in what you see and think. Trust in him. Is there injustice? Trust in him. Are you lonely? Trust in him. Are you angry? Trust in him. Because that trust in him responds to the eternal reward. And the eternal reward isn't just when you get to heaven. Jesus can meet us today. Um, I'm calling Melinda up. She doesn't know why. I'm reminded of part of her testimony of how I think when we first started dating, um, she, you know, if I wouldn't call, you know, if she was expecting me to call and I didn't call, and maybe, I don't know, maybe I didn't call for several days, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, and there's that level of disappointment. I'd like for her to share her encounter with Jesus with those moments, if you would. Okay, um, so just a little background. Prior to dating, I was probably single eight years, um, and just really developed that relationship with God, and God being there for me, even there wasn't a man there for me. And then, so then we start dating, it's like, wow. <laughs> you know, and but like you said, you know, you, know, you get the phone call, you're excited, you connect, and then it's been a couple of days. It's like oh, I didn't call; he doesn't like me anymore. <laughs> anyway, and I, I get real, and I start getting upset, you know. And then, you know, one day, God just says to me, "Yo, <laughs> you know, what's up? You and me have been good for years now. So what if he doesn't call? It's just I'm still here. I still got you." And if he doesn't call, it's okay. If he calls, it's okay because God, like, has that foundation that's always there. Thank you. <laughs> if I could take that piece and give it to all of us, God saying, that person let you down? I'm still here. I've got you. In your loneliness, I'm right here. You see, we devalue the presence of Jesus. Like, yeah, Jesus, I like it that you're here, but I really would like some money. Jesus, your presence is really great, but I want a girl. I want a girl, Jesus. I want a job. I want a car. I want, I want, I want. Jesus says, I'm right here. Turn your needs toward me. The greatest act of trust. She trusted Jesus. There are three things, and we're going to end with a quote here because uh, I'll just hold this till next week. There are three things that really are available to change our habits. One is time. Over time, seasons change, we mature a little bit, and it can affect our habits. Sometimes for good, sometimes for not. 
But time seems to be a habit changer on some level. The second one is crisis. Most often, we need some kind of crisis to make us change a habit. We have to get caught. We have to fall down. Something happens that forces us to look at our habit and go, it's not the friend I claimed it to be. It's not the force that protects me or serves me or meets my need the way I have acted like it can. That has been a lie for me. And the third is we have a choice. We have a will. And God has set our will free. Do you know that willpower is a habit? You have people that use willpower very well. And you have others that they say, well, I don't have any willpower. They never exercise it. They never practice their will. We're going to talk about that starting next week. If you want to practice exercising your will, you're going to find that you have one. My mother was complaining about my father smoking a pipe, mainly because he set his clothes on fire all the time. My dad was, I don't know, probably my words, frustrated hearing it. They're going down the road. He rolls the window down. He throws his pipe out the window. And he stopped. After 40 years. Most of us can't do that. Most of us, by tomorrow, we're looking for that pipe. If you could stand. <clears throat>